Welcome to Royals Review Radio. Uh, it's been a while since we've uh, done a podcast, but we're back again. Um, joined by three writers tonight. Uh, first off is my co-host, uh, Matthew Lamar, joining us tonight. Matthew, how are you? Glad you could uh, could join me. Doing good. good. Doing good. good. It is cold and terrible outside, and the roads are awful. Yes. and But it is nice and warm in here. A so. sleety, snowy Kansas City. Um also on the line here is uh, our Savannah resident, who I'm. I bet it's it's not as it's not as cold here, but how's it down in uh, Savannah? Josh Ward, that is a little bit warmer. I'm guessing. It was 55, and I wore shorts today. Oh, okay. Well, my work <laughs> closed early today because of how bad the snow was. So good man. Um, so it then, was a uh, it was pretty nice all day. And then alongside us is. Kevin Ruprecht for the first time on the show. Kevin Ruprecht, Ruprecht, Ruprecht. That's how it's pronounced, correct? Yeah, Ruprecht. Ruprecht. What's the uh, What's the lineage of that? What's the the etymology? Etymology. Yeah. Uh, it's It's German, Ooh. and uh, if you know the German name for Santa Claus, Sinterklaas, <laughs> right? Oh. Uh, Ruprecht was um, sort of a servant or sidekick to oh. Sinterklaas. Huh. And sort of assisted with whatever nasty things the German Santa Claus would do to kids. Oh, fantastic. True, because German Santa Claus is not a particularly it, nice person. I mean, German right, as a language is, is not the most pleasant. <laughs> well, Ruprecht. It's the Belschnickel, right? Because that's what Dwight Schrute on The Office, he's the Belschnickel. Oh well, okay. Well, he, that's the Something German. Like that. So anyway, sure. I probably went too far on this one. All right, let's. Uh, <laughs> my Seinfeld in the office. I've got it. Uh, okay, so we'll dive right in. Obviously, the very first big news that happened: uh, Alex Gordon will remain a Royal for at least the next four years. Could be five, uh, but it's at least four. Going to make seventy-two million, I believe, was the contract. Um, Definitely backloaded with a mutual option for the fifth year. Feels pretty good, guys, huh? That's um, an understatement, I would say. What do you guys think was – what do you think is – and not from the Royals, but from just kind of any team being an outfielder. If the stakes got high enough, what do you think the highest you could see a team going for Gordon? Um. Pretty high. I could see him going for as much as $100 million for five years or so. I think that – I mean, looking at what Upton got, six for, what, 136? Um, yeah, 22.125 AAV, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think he, he could have got for five for 100, probably. I mean, yeah, that, that's off a year. Um, you know, so that's that's probably the, the ceiling. And obviously, the Royals are not going to spend five or for 100. Although, yeah. knowing what we know now, they probably could have. But, you know... <laughs> Such as life. Well, the only thing I wonder about now at this point is how much money was left on the table, or whether oh. any money was actually left on the table. Yeah. Um, I understand that some teams don't view Gordon the same way that Kansas City does, um, but the idea that all he was able to really put together was four for 72. I mean, maybe he had an offer that was 
four for 75 and decided to stay in Kansas City instead. Uh, but I still find it really hard that, to believe that nobody was offering something competitive, at least, because you didn't really hear any reports that, like, oh, he you know, left X amount on the table to return to Kansas City or anything like that. Um, yeah. Regardless of all of that anyway, but uh, regardless of, of that, uh, it's it's pretty great to have him around. There's actually a piece I've been gestating now for like a week and a half about baseball and legacies, and Matt wrote about it, um, I guess, Monday, today. Matt right? Lamar, you're speaking of? Yeah. Yeah, Co-host, today, not Tuesday, Monday. not Monday. Tuesday? Are you talking about the one yeah. about why we root for baseball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and half of that is, you know, kind of wrapped up in culture, and part of culture is legacy, and part of legacy is, is sort of these figures that exist, and now, you know, Kansas City has another one. Like, George Brett has kind of always been that thing, uh, at least in terms of baseball, and then you have sort of the lesser knowns of maybe like Dan Quisenberry or... Uh, Mike Sweeney. Yeah. But uh, the fact that Alex Gordon is now essentially committed to being a royal, you know, for life, more or less, um, it's it's something that means more than just the money that's being given to him or the money that he didn't take in order to come back. Yeah, and uh, that's, that's a good point about the discount, too, is that it wasn't really bandied about as far as what it was, but... There's sort of like an implied discount, you would imagine, um, because 572 is, I mean, pretty fairly. Te- I mean, for the most part, t- as team friendly as you know a five-year deal or four-year deal for a 32-year-old outfielder can be. Um, but if you guys were to even guesstimate, let's say it this way: so what's a discount? How much do you guys think Alex Gordon, the peak? What's the biggest discount you think he could have given the Royals? 10 million, 15? I think. I think if someone came along with 480, I think he would have taken that. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, th- I mean that's that's a good question, and I don't think, I think that is just it's very speculative, which is not bad. But part of the the problem, pro- not problem, I guess. Um, part of the the thing about the signing is that um, I'm not entirely sure that he left much money on the table, um, judging from what we know and yeah. from what. Um, there's this guy clubhouse conversation who has some yeah. sort of inside source with the Gordons, um, or not, not the Gordons, Alex Gordon, um, some sort of inside source that was supplying him pretty, pretty accurately. He said it was only between the White Sox and the, uh, and the Royals and the White Sox were only willing to give him three years. Yeah. So I'm not mm-hmm. entirely certain if, you know, that wasn't the best deal that Gordon had on the, on the market. Um, which which like, kind of we'll never really know. And and if that's true, that really makes me wonder what the other what the perception of Alex Gordon outside of Kansas City is. Because the fact that he w- only was getting a three year deal from the White Sox seems yeah. insane, right? Especially when the Tigers met. I mean, there's a lot of people that needed, um, you know, not, not maybe a lot, but there were definitely suitors for him. Um, not quite the pitching market, but definitely suitors for him too. And yeah, you know, of course he's got a higher economic value to the Royals just from his, you know, who he is to the franchise. Um, but I can't imagine. I don't know. I, I feel like if Casey Close, his agent, went around and said, "Hey, five million, five years or four years, seventy 
five million gets you Gordon. I kind of find it tough to believe that two teams or you know one or two teams didn't say okay, we'll take that. You know. Yeah, I just think it sort of shook out perfectly for the Royals. Oh, um, with Hayward, Hayward really signing with the Cubs just sort of made everything. Yeah. Um, because the Cardinals ended up being a lot like the Royals in that they were really only interested in Hayward coming back. Like, if the Royals didn't sign Gordon, they're probably not going to go out and get Upton, you know. Yeah. Um, but the uh, – uh, what what team – sorry, I just totally blanked. I'm just so excited that Alex Gordon's back. Like, that's part, that's part of it. It's just like, yeah. it's just so exciting that he's back, yeah. you know? He's just – he's Alex Gordon, and he is back in Kansas City for another four years. Um, but, yeah, I, once, once Hay- Hayward signed with the Cubs, you know, the Cardinals weren't really interested yeah. so much in getting another outfielder. And then uh, – so they were out of it. And then the Cubs obviously were out of it because they're not going to go out and get Hayward and Gordon, yeah. although that would have been crazy. <laughs> um, and that's your standard issue um, high market teams like the – you know, Dodgers and the Angels and the Yankees weren't really coming out and spending a bunch of money anyways. And, um, yeah, I just think it just sort of shook out. And, you know, the Tigers obviously got Upton, but, you know, maybe they just didn't want Gordon or maybe Gordon wasn't willing to negotiate with them or something. Um, it is, it, it's interesting that you bring up the Dodgers and the Angels and the Yankees. And the Dodgers weren't bidding for him because they have, like, seven outfielders already. Right, and the the Angels weren't bidding for him because they're still paying Josh Hamilton. <laughs> that was right. the dumbest contract in the history of bad contracts, uh, except for maybe Ryan Howard. That one's also pretty bad. Vernon yeah. Wells says hi. Yeah, Vernon Wells is pretty bad too. Yeah, I, I'm surprised Vernon Wells was never a Royal. To be honest, but um, that's just my sorry. And the Yankees have Ellsbury and Gardner already, right? So or the yeah. Beltron. Yeah, and, Beltron. Yeah, and Beltron. Yeah, and but. plus, and and I, I was sort of saying this uh, before uh, before the offseason happened and any serious uh, conversations began. But I but I thought that um, you know the amount of high tier outfielders would push Gordon down, or Gordon's value down. Um, you know, because why get in a bidding war for Gordon when there are three better options? Literally, three better options for you to do. Um, and then also some pretty decent second tier options like you know Span and Fowler, um, and Para, and Para, and Cespedes is still unsigned. It's, it's just crazy. So I just like it was the perfect storm. There are lots of outfielders. The suitors lined up uh, just so, and it just just happened to be. And it was it's the most traditionally un Kansas City thing, you know, because Kansas City Royals baseball was all about them being terrible and being unlucky. And th- all of a sudden, they've just the, the switch was just flipped, you know? Yeah, and you know what? It's kind of good fortune that, and I you know this is speculation, of course, that, um, what's his name? That Chris Davis didn't, if Chris Davis wouldn't have signed elsewhere? Oh, yeah, Davis I mean, too. Orioles would have been, I, I would imagine, all over them, all over Gordon. Uh, Gordon has, I was going to look it up real quick, a 114 OPS plus. So I think that's one of his better splits. But anyways, he it seems like he's always hit real well. And, of course, you remember that plaque they have for Alex Gordon out in the outfield from that home run he hit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's hit very well at uh, uh, Camden. So, yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking. As you guys mentioned, it's kind of that, that perfect um, 
kind of turn of events, essentially, or the lack thereof, for the most part, um, that kind of allowed them to, to keep them. So, good. Yeah, plus one other thing, and I don't really know how much this really matters, but it seems as every year goes on, teams are more and more and more reluctant to um, get uh, fringe guys with qualifying offers, you know? Yeah, and, I mean, Gordon's not a fringe guy, and he was always going to get signed, but... He's a fringe guy when you compare him to the outfielders available. Right, and you just you just got to wonder, like, what is going on? Because it's not just, um, you know, it's not just Gordon. Like, all these guys are unsigned and stayed unsigned, and I think teams are just sort of like, well, I, I guess we'll sign them if we have to, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't know. Um, you don't want to say that the owners are colluding. To, or collusion is colluding a word? Is that the yeah colluding? Yeah, collude. Yeah. Sure, the, the form of collusion to collude. Uh, yeah, to collude. Yeah, it's the Latin uh, American prospects name, by the way. To collude. <laughs> to I don't. You know, I don't want to say that the owners and the managers are doing that, but it just seems really, really fishy. Um, and at the very least, I think people really value prospects and um, getting a free agent tied with a prospect, and you spend a bunch of money on them. You know. Maybe not team's first yeah. option, which slows down the whole process. Well, particularly for teams who might be looking for a player to put them into contention. Like, a, a team like the Royals are in a position where it's like, well, we're here. Like, right. we have to keep going. As opposed to another team which is saying, if we acquire this player, we might be able to compete. Right, and that's much less that's much less attractive to want to go out and give up a draft pick to sign that guy to possibly win eighty five games. Right, yeah, but that second wild card, man. Hey, Max. So, question directly for you. Yeah. Why do we root for sports teams, anyways? Can you answer that? Um, I think it has a lot to do with. Um, it's got a lot to do with people. We 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 root for them because it's um, we like to feel a part of something, you know. Regardless of what whether we're um, introverts or extroverts, it's because we want to be a part of something. And if you're introverts, be a part of something alone. But if you're an extrovert, be a part of something with people, you know. Um, either either way, I think people like experiencing things with other people, and sports are the ultimate way to do that. Because nothing is for sure, you know, um, and it's it's also why you see all these, you know, the explosion of these uh, cons and uh, other, you know, fandoms based off of fictional works is once sort of like the stigma of being nerdy has worn off, which is its own discussion entirely. Um, you know, people like to experience stuff together, and that's why. You know, Star Wars is a thing. It's why I, you know, I reference uh, Pokemon in the article. People love the first, the first generation of Pokemon because it was the one where they um, experienced it with other people. And then there's uh, there's a fair amount of nostalgia as well. You know, like oh, when I was a kid, I went to see this game uh, or whatever, or I rooted for Sandy Alomar, or you know, my mom's favorite player was blank and I remember that you know stuff like that yeah obviously the game itself is important too you know yeah and some people like it because of the game and that's perfectly fine but that doesn't explain the whole thing it can't 
Yeah, and two kind of points there. I never realized first – this is off topic. I never realized that you can't get the other three Pokemon in – or the other two. You can't catch – if you choose Charizard, you can't get what Pikachu or whatever. You can't get Bulbasaur and uh, the other guy? Yeah. Really? Squirtle. Squirtle. Squirtle? You, I, I, unless you trade for them, which doesn't make any sense, but, oh. you know. it's yeah, that, was, uh, that was Minx yeah. that po- posted that comic. Yeah. Well, huh? So you can't really. It's a catch gimmick them all. to get more people to buy. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. catch most of them. Okay. Yeah, but it, it also gives you a choice, like as a as a purely gameplay decision. And this is getting down into game design, which is somehow not this <laughs> this podcast, but um, it makes sense. As <laughs> it's a better mechanic, than the right? tax edition, like. Yeah, it's it's you know you get a choice, and yeah. then you uh, you pick something you like, and it's a unique experience, and you know it's good. But story wise, it doesn't make any sense. But also story wise. Like your ten-year-olds walking around with Pokemon, and it's, it's just don't think about it too hard. Yeah. Hey, so do you think teams? Do you think fans would have would be just as attached to teams if every year they got twenty-five new players, like Duke? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, like you think of, not Duke basketball, like Kentucky basketball. Well, Kentucky, that's a big exaggerated. They don't uh, over you know churn that much, but um, yeah. I mean, what do you think? Do you think we'd be as connected? Are we connected in the players just as much as the team? Maybe not as much as the team, but. What percentage do you think is players first team? Like connection wise, do you think it's twenty percent players higher than that? I don't. I don't know. That's that's a good question because I've thought before. You know, like I don't know the the Rays or the Athletics teams that are traditionally have high turnover rates. You know, because they they trade players. You know, um, whether they're prospects before they get to the big leagues or even once they've got to the big leagues. You know, like James Shields. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know, and I wonder if that's not part of the reason why people aren't as excited about those teams. You know, I mean, there are a billion other factors, but like the Rays and the A's are not exactly teams that you like. Oh, the fans love them, you know. Yeah. And I, I wonder, like, is that because like there's just no one to hook, you know, sort of uh, hook onto as far as you know, knowing who this is and. I think part of the Royals' uh, widespread interest among the Kansas City area is that they were a fun team to root for, even beyond winning, you know? Yeah. And there's certainly got to be some connection because no one in, in St. Pete is going, hey, let's go to a Rays game on a random Tuesday night just because they want something to do. You know, I mean, that's there's got to be a connection as far as they want to go see the team um, for, for whatever reason that is. And like you said, it's probably – it's probably not the players necessarily, um, given how much there is turnover. I can't imagine Evan Longoria is, you know, breaking ticket records and jersey sales by himself. You know, I, I, but Kevin Kiermaier, so they do a good job of that. But anyways, yeah, I'm with you there. So that was a good article. I just wanted to kind of talk about that for a bit. Cool. If, yeah. Thanks. And Pokemon, of course. And Pokemon, obviously. yeah, which I've never played more than 25 minutes of. Anyways, uh, hey Kevin, so why do you root for the Royals? Let's let's get some discussion. Uh, with this being your first time, we're going to be annoying and ask you specific questions. <laughs> so what got you yeah, in the, sure. the Royals? You're a Kansas City guy, for those who don't know. Kevin works yeah. here in Kansas City and everything. Um, born and raised in Kansas City. Um, and you know, my my family was a subscriber to the Kansas City Star, so I'd get the Kansas City Star. Uh, during the summer, You know, I'd wake up and start reading Bob Dutton's recaps. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um. So at that point, I was pretty hooked because I thought Dutton did such a great job at his job, despite 
the team being in, in the dark times uh, and, and terrible. Yeah. You know, was, he'd always seem to just, uh, to use a, a cliched sports term, bring it to every recap, you know, 162 games. Um, so that's that's kind of the, the start of why I was a fan of the Royals. Yeah. Uh, two, I was a baseball player as a kid, um, which I'm sure many of many of our community were as well. Um, but I always had loved baseball over football and over basketball, so it, it it's kind of hard to be a fan of other teams, I guess. Having been raised in Kansas City, be a baseball player and yeah. read the newspaper all the time, especially with uh, Poznanski and Whitlock there too, being such a nice contrast back then. Yeah, mm-hmm. who was who was the Royals beat writer before Dutton? Anybody know? Any idea? Uh, I think Michelangelo actually. That's yeah. a name. <laughs> uh, is that an actual person? <laughs> Michelangelo, you know. No, I know the painter and the Ninja Turtle, but I was wondering if this is an actual. No, no that, was, journalist? that was a joke. That was okay. a pure joke. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I really don't. Okay. No hey, idea. And speaking of completely unplanned segue, uh, Matt, you interviewed Bob Dutton. Um, tell us a little more about how that went, maybe, and kind of maybe an overarching view of kind of, you know, and you did the same series last year. How does this right. get set up? Uh, what are your kind of favorite things, takeaways, kind of, you know, things you, you, you like about the whole series that you're doing? Uh, yeah, so um, I last year I had the, I, had the idea to uh, do an interview series based off of more or less the emotion of the Royals being in it again, you know. And, um, and so what I did is, you know, I found a lot of people um, – a lot, a lot of them t- turned out to be journalists. Um, like I got um, Sam Mellinger from the start right now, and uh, Joe Posnanski, um, and um, and uh, you know, I, I also got Chris Kamler and uh, Sung Woo, which is pretty cool. But this year, I thought, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to get a more diverse group of people, um, and um, uh, yeah, get a get a more di- diverse group and tailor the questions specifically to them um, as opposed to going with a uh, more of a standard format. But anyway, so um, yeah, Bob Dutton um, is the most recent. Um, I had uh, Mayor Sly James. Um, And these aren't super uh, in-depth or um, really difficult or crazy interviews like for for Sly James all I did was I emailed the um the the mayor's office and then I got hooked up with the press secretary who uh, relayed questions um but yeah it's it's not like I don't sit down with them unfortunately but you know the internet makes it sort of possible to send out an email and saying hey here's some questions can you answer these um and a lot of people you know they say yes because everybody loves the royals and um next week I will have Michael Stern of the the director of the Kansas City Symphony, who is um, has the best set of answers so far, um, and I'm really excited for that one. And then Mellinger's coming up, and then a couple more. Um, but uh, yeah, I who do you who else do you think that I should interview? Well, I have a question, real quick. Yeah, do you ask Michael Stern about his bet 
with the New York Symphony. Oh, of course. Over the yeah. World Series. Oh, yeah. Good. Yep. Yeah, okay. I I did indeed. Yeah, he and he he's got some great great answers. Uh, he's a really 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 smart guy. Apart from being a great musician, like you can just tell he's he was actually funnily enough he was uh, a history um, major. His first uh, bachelor's degree was in history, and mm. then he decided to become oh. uh, a, a musician. So he's he's a really interesting, dude. Um, so excited for that. Hmm. Um, I've got a guy that you could maybe try to interview. Okay. The the guy who holds up the W at the end of Casey. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Casey. Casey, yeah. the homeless guy. Yeah, he's uh, he's great. <laughs> Wait, what? He looks like a homeless dude. I, oh. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, when I first saw him up there, and they don't ever like announce. There's no press releases. Hey, we've now got this guy. I just said, <laughs> right. I, for some, I was like, who is this guy with this W that jumped on top of the Hall of Fame? Oh, you know, he lives in the Hall of Fame and yeah. he eats old hot dogs. That's Casey. You know. Yeah, yeah Slugger sure. shoots him a hot dog out of the hot dog cannon once a night. Mm-hmm. That's his payment. Oh. Um, right. <laughs> Casey. Straight, straight into his mouth. Yeah. Um, he hangs out with Kirk in the Hall of Fame there. I mean, I'd be I'd be interested to hear from, like, Nick Kinney. Yeah. Or huh. the uh, uh, groundskeeper. Yeah. I, oh, I, yeah. I thought yeah. about that. Or yeah. Lefever, Lefever would be cool. I mean, like one of the yeah. world's broadcasters would be kind of cool if, yeah. if possible. Montgomery. Lefever is actually a really good interview. Yeah, I have spoken to him on several occasions through things. Yeah, um, and he's uh, Tinder. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and he's actually he's a really nice guy, and he's great to talk to, and he's actually got a really good story. And everything, you know, with his dad. And yeah. Right. Trying to follow in his footsteps and his struggles and yeah. become the announcer and everything. So. Yeah, if you could do an interview with him, uh, Matt, and he doesn't bring up Minas- something Minnesota related, I think we're I think we're in business there. That's a true challenge, right there. All right, all right, I'll I'll, I'll try. Uh, so cool. So let's talk about uh, Lorenzo Kane. So Lorenzo Kane is going to be a royal for the next. Well, he was going to be anyways, but um, he's now guaranteed that money for the next two years as opposed to going through arbitration. I don't know. This one, I think it signals kind of, well, it signals one thing, that it seems like, and we'll discuss both of these, um, it it seems like the Royals are basically saying, we're going to let you go. Maybe not we're going to let you go, but we're going to at least cap your two years for now, and then maybe we'll talk about it. But it seems like to me they're kind of like, you know what, let's guarantee this money, shake hands and, and part ways. Um Agreed? Disagreed? What do you guys think about that? But, but they did the same with Hosmer last year. Or, yeah. 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 I I guess I just don't understand why you would guarantee money to a player where should they get injured, you don't have to guarantee them. I just yeah. – I don't get it. I really yeah. don't. And it's not like they will have from um, that much of a money difference. Otherwise, yeah. the player wouldn't sign it in the first place. So I, I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't think that they – I don't think that – Kane took a discount. It seems like that's right in line with what Kane's ARB numbers probably are going to end up being. Any, I mean, he, sure, he could have another MVP like season and bust out, but being more realistic, kind of, it, it seems like that's basically what they were going to pay him in arbitration, anyways. At least close to. Well, they were going to lose arbitration. I think is is part of what what happened. They wanted to guarantee. I think more so than next year, they really wanted to guarantee his money this year. And it probably became a situ- situation where Kane wasn't willing 
to take the kind of the middle of the road number for this year, which was six and a half. Because the Royals were going to arbitration with five, and Lorenzo Cain was going with 7.9, give or take. And I think it probably got to a situation where Cain wasn't willing to settle for less than that this year, unless the Royals were willing to negotiate terms for next year. Do you think he uh, really? Do you think they really thought they were going to lose arbitration? And oh, I yeah. say this because teams Absolutely. don't normally lose arbitration for the most part. And it's obviously it's by an arbiter, but it seems right. like historically teams usually end up. Winning. Well, I I think they were. I mean, based on Kane's production the last two years, um, being more le- and and just kind of becoming more of a popular figure. And everything, just I mean, his own his on field production alone. Yeah. Uh, when you consider that he was what the ALCS MVP, right from last year. Is that is that right? Was yeah. This? Yeah. No, that was that was last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, Escobar was it? Was it this year? Right, and finished. Uh, top. What was it? Top five in player war for position players. Top yeah, five, it was yeah. third in MVP voting, is that right? Yeah, finished third in MVP voting. Um I don't I don't I don't think there is a way that the Royals were going to not have to pay him the seven point nine or whatever the figure was that he was going to the table with. Right. So I think I think for them they wanted to get that number down this year, but knew that they and then probably knew that they couldn't without guaranteeing money next year. Right, uh, and the other thing about it is that it's also just kind of a good faith move on the part of organizations to say like, "Hey, instead of having to deal with arbitration next year, what if we just agree on a number right now?" Yeah, I think and, that's. I think it was more towards, and that's just my opinion, and I understand your point. I think it was more towards next year they're worried about that another kind of breakout season because mm-hmm. he made what two point five, I think, something in that range. Uh, last year, and now he wanted to bump up to seven, kind of like what Mustakis is trying to do. Um, So I think that they just wanted to be, they just wanted to cap his earnings, essentially, for the next two years, which makes sense, but um, I don't know. I didn't think they were maybe worried about this year as much as they are next year, Uh, but I don't know. I kind of get you there, but yeah, definitely the good faith kind of makes sense. Kevin, come on, chime in. (laughs) I think it's just one less moving part for the future. Sure. It's little bit of cost certainty um i also think uh, back to the point about teams usually winning arbitration cases i, I would think there's a little bit uh, of selection bias in there sure. that definitely yeah, yeah. If, if the player's going to win the teams aren't going to let it get that far yeah right but yeah i i, I do agree that kane would have won that case i think yeah, MLB yeah. trade rumors projected him for six point one, and they've got a pretty decent model. Um, six point one, he filed seven point eight. The team filed five. So, yeah, Kane was a bit wasn't quite at, the midpoint wasn't quite there for projection wise. So, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. Um, what do you guys think of two? What do you guys think of Lorenzo Kane? What's he going to be twenty? He'll be thirty. Is he thirty coming up this season? I think he's thirty. Um, yeah. What's an, what's a what's a five year? Let's say he hits free agency. What's a five-year free agency contract? You think he breaks uh, 120 million? 
Uh, maybe. Like if he, if he was a free <laughs> agent. Right. Right. No, 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 no. Uh, if he's a free agent upon free agency next next year. Age 32. Is, is that... Is that the year when it's supposed to be the greatest free agent yes. history class in the history of that, whenever? Yeah, that's the Bryce yeah. Harper, that's Donaldson. Yeah, that actually is. So yeah. that's kind of does. Yeah. Make so Kane Davis. could potentially land into a similar situation as Gordon, where yeah. there are supposedly upper tier players above him, and then he's sort of left out. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, he was seeking a six-year deal. Yeah. Um, news came out um, in, in all the stocks that he was seeking a six-year deal. Um, he was seeking a six-year extension, yeah. shall we say, with the Royals, which is really interesting because you don't usually hear about players discussing or leaking that this player wants a specific, um, you know, amount of extension. That that doesn't seem usual. You know, you you hear about that other sources, but yeah, for the player to want to extend. Um, that might show some sort of hesitancy in his free agent class, you know? Yeah. So a six-year extension for Kane seems like, uh, let's see, what would he settle for? Essentially um, 17.5 an ARP. So I bet you could – I bet they're breaking 100 if they did a six uh, – probably easily break 100. You think if they sign right now, sign a six-year, wipe away his ARP that he's, you know, just uh, elected for? And just right now said, hey, you know what? Give me six years. What do you think it will cost the Royals? Yeah, a lot of money. What's really interesting is let's say that they don't re-sign Gordon. And you have Lorenzo Cain who wants the six-year extension. Do you think they would give that more credence, right? Because they have all that Gordon money, right? definitely. And instead of Gordon, you've got um, Cain as as your guy. Um, and he's younger too. So I, yeah. I, I do wonder, like, is that a thing that could have happened? Yeah. So would you rather have uh, Josh, Kevin, Matt, everybody here? Would you rather have uh, Kane? We'll say Gordon for four seventy-two. What he signed? Well, let's say Kane for seven. We'll try and double it. We'll do Kane for seven one forty. I'd rather have Gordon. Gordon. Yeah. Yeah, at that cost, Gordon. However, at a lower that's, cost, that's let's say six one twenty. Sure, six one twenty. That works. Sure. I'd probably still go with Gordon if I it was I like would. six for one hundred five or six for one ten. Yeah. I might have to actually think about that. That's seventeen and a half million. A yeah. Okay. Um, because of the you know he he does still have arbitration for two yeah. years, which I think brings down the AAV. Is it is it the length or is it the money you guys are worried about? Uh it's the money like, mostly. Money? Okay. But it's money because of the length, I yeah, guess. Yeah, no definitely. Because he he'd be, you know, 36, 37 by the end of that deal. Yeah. He doesn't have I don't necessarily consider him injury prone, but he does have like he has an injury history thing. beyond that of Gordon, who's yeah. been oh, remarkably healthy. Yeah, his career. And how right. many games did he play in 2015? I think like uh, 140. No, 140. Okay. Yeah, 140-ish. Really? And the thing I thought it was a little less. Yeah, and I thought yeah. it was too. And the thing with that too is the reason that he has played in 140-ish games last year is because the Royals purposely took it slow on him. You know, I mean, it's not like yeah. they said, "Hey, go out and play every game possible." They said, "Hey, we'll slow down because your legs yeah. are, are bad." Right. Uh, so. They kind of, yeah. and if they have to do that now, yeah, and yeah, they also, 
four years down the line. Yeah, and they also uh, gave him a couple of games off at the end of the year. Yeah. Kind of after they had wrapped everything up. They were playing Dyson Rios, Dyson Orlando a lot. Yeah, and Gore had a couple of plate appearances, which is fantastic. Yeah. It's always fun. I hope Um, I... Anyways, go ahead. Um. So just, I mean, just with, you know, kind of his previous injuries and the fact that the position that he plays is one of the more physically strenuous. Like, probably, I would say that center field outside of catcher is is probably the most physically demanding position, just with the amount that you have to run, um, and just you know all the athleticism that's involved in it. So, I I think there's a little bit to saying that maybe center fielders. I don't know if they don't necessarily age as well or anything like that. I don't have any like you know, figures or whatever. But I mean Gordon's like training regimen is like legendary. So that kind of plays into him being better <laughs> when he's, you know, older because he still, you know, trains so rig- rigorously. Mm-hmm. Uh and I'm not sure what Lorenzo Kane does to stay as physically gifted as he is. Um, and there's also still kind of an opinion floating around that some of Kane's offensive production is sort of mirage-esque um, because he requires, like, his batting average on balls in play is so ridiculously high. Yeah. Uh, that there's always kind of a, fr- a fear that, like, It'll just, just disappear. Like, yeah, he'll just have like a BABIP, you know, uh, that's more normative and yeah. will completely implode his offensive profile. Yeah, well, and we kind of know speedier guys can run a higher BABIP. And the kind of maybe counter argument to that opinion, um, not saying it's yours, but it, it, people who maybe make that uh, argument is I mean, Kane's a guy, what did he have? He had a 380 BABIP in 2014, 111 WRC. Plus. His BABIP dropped by. 20 or 33 points um, and it, he had a 129 WRC plus so he was an 18% better hitter despite a 40 basically a 40 point bad yeah. drop so yeah or a little less than 40 anyways um, yeah I don't but know I'm, just just to kind of put a cap on it yeah if they gave him Gordon's contract in addition to the two years they just guaranteed I'd do that in a heartbeat it'd sure. be like 6 for yeah. 90 yeah like, oh, yeah. if, they get, if they gave him six for 90, I'd be like, yeah. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Hey, yep. What do you guys think? You mentioned off-season conditioning um, with uh, Kane. What do you guys think 70-year-old Alex Gordon is going to look like? I bet you that dude is still ripped, still has pecs of steel. Just Minda and uh, and Victoria Minx there are both going to just be drooling still, I'd imagine. Yeah? You think? <laughs> That's oh, out of left field. Okay. Ah, anybody get the joke? Because he plays left field. Yeah. Yeah, so, I see what you did hey, there. Um, yeah, well. Instead of people making Jack Lane <laughs> jokes, they'll make Alex Gordon yeah. jokes. So, non-breaking, non-revelatory news. Uh, we cut, We talked about beat writers with Andy McCullough leaving. Um, mm-hmm. Rustin Dodd. Rustin is, Dodd. He's going to be taking over. Yeah? Wait, what? Beat writer. Now. When yeah. did this Happen. Um, that happened today. Are you just making this up? No, seriously. No, it was, it's today. It was just on the Twitter. I just saw it on yep. the Twitter. 
Rustin Dodd's the new beat writer. Yeah, leaving. I guess he's leaving KU's beat. I can't imagine he's doing both. Um, but yeah, he's going to do that. So Rustin Dodd for uh, people who care about the world's beat writer, where, which I do. Where do, does he have dry sardonic wit? Uh, are we going to get that no. still? No, it's hard to top. You know what? We had yeah. two really good sarcastic jerks with Dutton and McCullough. Mm-hmm. And I say jerks in a good connotation because <laughs> I love the, it. the most wonderful connotation. Yes, right. Um, but I don't know. I don't. I follow Rustin on Twitter, but I don't really reckon. I don't really notice his tweets. I guess so. I don't know. We'll mm-hmm. see. And for those of you listening and want another podcast, listen to Andy McCullough was just on the Effectively Wild podcast, um, which yeah. is Baseball Prospectus's daily podcast. So. Uh, he's got a lot of good takes on that if you want to say farewell to Andy, um, which we're all sad about. Agreed? Agreed. Yeah, Andy was great. Yeah. Andy was great. He was fun. Okay. Uh, he another didn't answer big... my emails, but he was great. <laughs> he never did answer my damn Royals opt-out TV contract question, which... <laughs> he, he never responded to my tweets. Yeah. But... Yeah. And I did like 15, 20. I mean, like tw- anyways. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Yeah. Actually, Sean. I, I, I even I even got the sc- – I, I got a screen cap of him uh, at the uh, – what was it? The winter meetings or the all-star game where they were ha- – oh, it was uh, – yeah. It was the announcement for the all-star game with Zach Ranke and Dallas Keuchel. And oh, yeah. then the press conference ends and everybody kind of stands up. And Andy McCullough just like rises from beneath the camera and turns around and like looks at it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I've seen that. Fun. He's yeah. probably wearing a button-down uh, uh-huh. shirt, much like I wear often. Button-down, long uh-huh. sleeves rolled up. That's exactly what I do. Andy's a good man. Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> yeah. cool. Um, another big signing, and what might not be the final signing, but will probably likely be the final biggest signing. And I've talked so much to death to this already. I'm so tired of it already. But Ian <laughs> Kennedy is now a Royal. Uh, Ian Kennedy coming over from the San Diego Padres, um, formerly Diamondbacks, formerly Yankees, where he worked with Dave Island. Um, it's you know what? Maybe not. Maybe it hasn't been as decisive as I feel like it has. But it feels like this one has been one of the signings where Gordon was universally universally loved. This one's been a mm-hmm. lot more uh, dis- device- divisive, not decisive, divisive than kind of most signings. Yay? Nay? How divisive has it been? Yeah. Should we take Should we take a poll of podcasters right now? Yeah, I'm gonna put the Ooh. I'm gonna put a poll on this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. Oh, I'm not, okay, gotcha. in the article. In the article. Well, I I just wanted a yay or nay from everybody on here who may or oh, like... I think yay. It has been divisive. Well, no. not not whether or not you like the signing. Oh, not whether or not it's been <laughs> devices. <laughs> That's what I thought you were asking. Um, no, it's a nay for me, dog. Okay, Roop. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with nay. Oh, huh? Matt. I'm gonna go with yay. And I also will go with yay. So... Oh, this is perfect. Yes. Well, there you go. Very divisive. Um, <laughs> hey, so Matt Lamar, you wrote you wrote an article on Beyond the Box Score, right? Uh, about the Kennedy signing, or was that Kevin? No, that was Matt Jackson. Oh, Matt Jackson. Uh, ah. Yeah, Matt. We have too many good Royals writers. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> and too many people named Matt and Kevin. Uh, okay, so Josh, and I'm not going to say your stance is optimistic, but your stance is on the skew towards in the realistic realm, which I think everybody's operating in the realistic realm for the most part. I think All you're right. skewed more towards the positive skew, I would say. Um, uh-huh. Tell me a little bit about what you like about Kennedy coming over as far as building off 
forgetting last year and moving to step forward this year? Well, the things that I like about Ian Kennedy are, um, one, his strikeout rate, his walk rate. Yes. uh, Kind of his peripherals in general. I know that he had a... I don't know what you'd call it. It's not really a spike so much as the mountain <laughs> in ter- in terms of his home run rate uh, last year. Um, uh, I, I like his profile overall, and despite the fact that last year was not good, um, I think, at least in part, some of it owes to playing for San Diego and... Um, playing in Petco Park, which has now become some kind of weird, like, almost Great American Ballpark-esque home run platform, it seems like, ever since they moved the fences in, and then lowered them, which is, you know, what you gotta do. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I I mean, I also, one, he um, started the year really poorly, uh, and ended the year pretty good. And the fact that he, he started the year really poorly is because he started the year coming off of, was it a hamstring injury or a groin injury? I forget which of those two it was. Um, let's see. Yeah, let's Google it. Um... Yeah. So in the first half, his uh, his caper nine rate was 8.1. In the second half, it was 10.5. Hamstring, by the way. Hamstring. Okay. Wasn't he also on a different side of the rubber? Yeah, they did some hmm. other like weird kind of tinkery things that you can read at at uh, Gas Slamp Bowl, I believe was the na- is the name of our Padres companion. Yeah, Gas Slamp Bowl. Gas yep. Slamp Bowl. Um, they wrote fairly extensively about Ian Kennedy basically throughout the entire year. Yeah, uh, and had a lot of really good information. Um, for people who are interested in trying to figure it out, but his his uh, ERA in the first half last year was four point nine one in eighty four and a third innings. His ERA in the second half last year was three point six four in eighty four innings. So his WOBA dropped by fifty points. His uh, on base given up dropped by twenty five or so. Um, and so I think there's a lot that says, hey coming off an injury they were messing around with his you know delivery and I want to say his release point at some point um, and basically once they stopped doing all of that um, he was and after he got you know healthy um, he was able to actually go out and pitch effectively so th- those are reasons why I like it yeah. I mean also and that's just from last year. I mean, it's really hard to, you know, parse one season down to first half struggles, second half success. But the year before that, he was also worth a little over three and a half wins. Um, and so I think there's a lot there that is that can easily build off of. On top of the fact that he's also moving to a new ballpark, which is good or bad for him. I'm actually kind of neutral on it, but the defense playing behind him is much better um, because the Padres were just freaking terrible. 
And um, Kevin, you're the dissenting opinion for the most part. Well, alongside myself, but I, I right. seriously am so tired of talking about this from personally. Uh, um, so yeah, yeah, I can I can talk about it for a while. Please. Um, I have though I did say nay. I have I have a lot of uh, yay and nay thoughts about the signing. So oh the nay part is, is something that you called out in your article, Sean, that he just gives up a lot of hard contact. Um, you know, read your article, Tony Blangito's article about on fan graphs about it. it. It just seems like Kennedy gives up a lot of hard contact, and there, there's just no way around that. Um, on the other hand, you know, you mentioned, Josh mentioned the, the defense thing. Um, there's the ridiculous home run rate that he had that's probably going to regress. Um, I think Matt Jackson's article of Beyond the Box score was about that. Um, I don't really want to speak for him, though. Um, after the signing, I, will. I wanted it, it to... It was definitely included. I will speak for him and say that he did talk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I only edited the article, so I, yeah. I should know about it, but anyway. Jackson um, can come at me. <laughs> if I'm misspeaking for him. Time, time for a good old Pokemon battle. Canadian beatdown. Um, so, actually, this this morning I had an article come out on Beyond the Box Score about Petco Park that uh, sort of piggybacked a little bit on Jeff Sullivan's article about it at Fangraphs. Um, the, the Homer thing is, is just crazy. Yeah. That, since they moved the fences in, there's definitely been a home run increase. And, you know, since they moved the fences in in right field, it's obviously been uh, a home run increase for left-handed hitters. Right, which would um, be worse against right-handed pitchers. Yeah, of which the Padres have many. And uh, <laughs> yeah. their entire starting rotation last year was all right-handed. They didn't have a single left-handed pitcher. And I mean, among the main five, they I didn't look beyond uh, the main five guys. Cashman, Russ, Shields, Kennedy, uh, Kennedy, Kennedy Drissimer, Despine. Yeah, Despine. I don't know how to pronounce Despine. 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 Lasagna. Despine. Yeah. <laughs> that one. Yeah. And They're all so, right-handed. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but basically, in, in the article, I found that roughly like 30% of home runs in, in 2010 to 2012 uh, were uh, from right-handed or from left-handed hitters. Then from 2013 to 2015, 45% of home runs at Petco were from left-handed hitters. And there was also an increase of pitches thrown to lefties, but there wasn't that much of an increase to, to account for such a large increase in home runs hit by lefties. So obviously the fence has the effect that we would expect it to have. Yeah, and I thought um, it was... Cu- oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, my bad. Um, in, in Kennedy's... Um, you know, I, I just looked at one year for this, but his uh, home run rate, or home run per fly ball rate to lefties in Petco last year, you know, if we're getting pretty... Granular. specific with yeah. that was uh, 28% but his away home run rate versus lefties was about 11% uh, home run per fly ball rate so th- that's a huge split that's 
you know, probably not going to last. Yeah. So that's that's kind of a reason for optimism. I, I think in the end, with the park change, with the various things that were going on in Petco, it could work out. He's yeah. obviously got the defense. He gives up the hard contacts. So I feel like it comes down to this. If the hard contact falls into a glove, great. He's probably going to have a low ERA, maybe beat his peripherals. If the hard contact doesn't find a glove, we're in a lot of trouble. And I feel like that's a lot of money to give to someone who's who could really go either way. Sure. That, that's, I think, why I feel a bit negative about the deal overall. Yeah, and for the listeners, um, just a quick brief overview. And Kevin, you did some research. Let me know if I miss anything. Petco in 2013, they did they did pretty much wholesale movements on almost the entire outfield, right? That's the big year they moved a ton of stuff. Not from what I saw in, in when they moved it in 2013, it was a little bit in left center where the bullpens are, hmm. but the vast majority was in right field where right. it was just a blanket 11 foot. Right. Okay. But they didn't move left field at all right. from what so, I saw. Yeah. So, okay. I was thinking they did everything. So, 2013, there was movement. They lowered the walls, I think, as well in 2013. Right. Yeah, slightly. I think. Yeah. Um, and then nothing happened in 14, but then this past year, uh, left field. They brought left field, left field in three feet, dropped the wall one foot. But I, a couple things as well that uh, I was reading the Gaslamp Ball again, by the way, listeners, if you – Want to read about the Padres for whatever reason? Definitely go uh, to the SB for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I don't say that condescendingly. I, but I know it just yeah. came. Off I just thinking if you want to read about them, if you want to go read about the Orioles, go to Canvas Chat. Um, but yeah, but they uh, they wrote a lot about this as you guys had as you mentioned there, Kevin, and um, they were going over. I mean, Petco they brought left field in, lowered the wall in left field, they added a scoreboard in left field. Um, one of the players said that kind of marine layer is no longer there. Um, at least her hat wasn't this year. And then they behind left field, there's this new skyscraper as well. So there was a lot that was going on that it's kind of tough, I think, to get an understanding of, okay, this is Petco now. Uh, more so maybe just one-year noise. But it does make sense. It's a lot of things that plugged in that then output what you would expect it to output. So the kind of question of sample size might not be legitimate because – that things happen the way we thought things kind of were going to happen. However, I do wonder if the spike that just happened this year, just because really all they did was move in left field, essentially, if that really you know bumped up for it to be a home run park that much. Is a, you know, a three-foot increase, a three-foot decrease, I should say, uh, changed things. Because Kennedy had an above-average fly ball rate in 2013 as well, not as high as the 17%, uh, yeah. but it was 13 I think it was 13%. Um, yeah, something like that. But, yeah, I mean, so there's just a lot. It, it's really complicated, it, it, and that's kind of what I agree with on there. Yeah, it's a lot of money for a yeah. complicated situation. Sure, sure. And um, a thing that I, in my article, that I didn't actually end up putting in, but um, I kind of looked at similar guys, free agents in age, um, and their three-year track record. Why three years? Because three years, and my dog keeps sneezing. Holy cow. Um, three years, and... He fits in almost lock and step with um, – who was it? I think it is – yeah, it's Bud Norris actually, which is very really? strange. Um, but Bud Norris and he and Kennedy have a similar three-year average, a similar 2015, a similar 2016 projection. 
Kennedy's only a year older. Yet Bud Norris got one year, two point five. Kennedy, of course, got five seventy with an opt out with a with a QO draft pick loss too. So I don't know. That's kind of my point. But what do you think, Matthew? Um, I I I like the deal because um, it's basically service level. A couple of things. First of all, he's a strikeout guy. And the Royals are an excellent defense. So the fewer balls that he allows into uh, into the defense, the defense already converts a lot of those. So the fewer that he, he gets into the defense, the better. Second part is because of that defense, there would be fewer people on the board. It's not just home runs. It's the amount... the Because the, if you give up 70 solo home runs, that's a lot different than giving up 70, 70 grand slams, you know? Um, so I think that the Royals defense will limit the amount of base runners there are in general, and which means we'll see um, fewer multi-run home runs from him. And then also, I just think he's a good fit with the uh, with Kauffman Stadium. You know, it's with especially with Dyson playing right field. If he is going to play a lot of right field, which is its own you know sort of thing, we hope. So. Hopefully, yeah. Um, that's a that's a crazy good defense, outfield defense. Like seriously good. I I looked I looked uh, in a comment to of I think a, a rumblings. I I went and I looked at the defensive runs saved of the Royals' top four outfielders um, that'll be here next year compared to the um, the Padres' top four outfielders, and the difference was like fifty runs just for the outfielders and that's it's huge and for a guy and a team that's apparently built on fly balls um that's really good i think the royals might have sort of stumbled onto something kind of magical here um here's here's a question though do what's the point of having a good outfield defense if the ball just goes over the wall well Every fly ball is not turning into a home run. And no, true. He's a fly ball pitcher. So that that is a good point. You do have a good point. But um, Coffin Stadium is pretty big. And um, it'd be one thing if we played in, like, I don't know, Yankee Stadium and they got Ian Kennedy. It was like, okay, not so not so great. Right. But, you know. Does, um, um, does he give up – let me look. Does he give up a lot of line drives? That's what I was wondering because I'm curious on if it's hard – and that's the problem with Kaufman is line drives usually turn into doubles and triples there. And so that's what right. I'm wondering. Does he give up a lot of line drives? Is that is, is his hard contact, hard contact fly balls, which usually, you know, if go is – I think they usually go as outs uh, for the most part. But does he give up a lot of line drives? Let's uh, – It's 22%. 22%. Yeah, I think the average is like 20%, I want to say. Um, so not so bad. Okay. I was thinking he – that's that's one concern, but that was a quick off the cuff concern. So okay, he, he also has given up. I mean, his career rate in home runs per fly ball is ten point seven percent, which is basically average. Yeah, but his home runs per nine is well above average. So it's kind of there's there's different ways to look at them. I think fun with looking at splits, by the way. Oh yeah, hit it, hit it up. Sitting sitting here staring at Ian Kennedy splits. Go. Two of his worst months by a hard contact percentage were June and July of last year, where he gave up over 37% hard contact. Hmm. Wow. In, in those two months, 
his ERA was 2.3 and 3.3. Hmm. <laughs> 2.31 and 3.38. What the home runs look like? Uh, he gave up on the fly. You can do fly ball, you know, home run fly ball. Yeah. He, oh, uh, the home run. He gave up 11 home runs in 60 innings across those two months. Does it Jeez, give you the HR FB, the home run per fly ball? Uh, no. Let's see. I just think I'm thinking home runs, it. home runs per nine. That's fine. What is that? One point two nine in June. One point eight four in July. One point eight four is bad. One point two one is kind of is not is a little bit higher than his career average. But um, mm-hmm. okay. So you guys uh, are saying it's oh here it is home okay. run per fly ball. Fourteen point seven percent in June. Sixteen point two percent in July. Okay. Hmm. So he was giving up more than average home runs, oh, but uh, okay. for some reason his hard contact was not. Yeah producing negative results by contrast in may he gave up 33 percent hard contact and his era was 6.4 i wonder if it was a lot of solo (laughs) home runs against bases loaded home runs for the most part or not base loaded but men on okay well right so he's complicated uh yeah he's he's like chris young but not freakishly tall yeah (laughs) and can actually strike out people yes yeah which so is he's not really reason. like Chris Young at all. Yeah. <laughs> outside of the fact that like maybe his profile is more more complicated yeah. than looking at you know contact and home runs and he stuff. he doesn't get the pop ups that Chris Young does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's Which, true. Um, he doesn't induce very many mustakis. Yeah. Mustak. <laughs> Mustakai. 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 The. What yeah. gosh, I can never think of the word. The octagon not the octagon, whatever it is. You know what it is, Josh. What's, Do I? He's always turning the corner, which makes him a Oh Dodecahedron. 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 Yeah. Dodecahedron. Okay. Yeah, that's that's yeah. and I post the gif of that that thing spinning. Yeah, that, that that's my thing. Okay, it, that's you. Yeah. I think that was for you. That's yeah, no, no, that's that's a Lamar thing. Sorry, Lamar. Um hey they also just called a moose up. Now. Moose up. <laughs> Instead of a pop up. It's just called a moose up. So Royal Zips are out. Um, and a lot of kind of cool stuff on that. Now, let me, all right, big, in the air, I'm drawing a big asterisk. So for listeners who are listening to this and for readers who read about the Zips, for the most part, projection systems do not predict players to be six, seven win players. So just chill out if you think the Royals are underprojected. Systems just don't do that for the most part, unless you're Mike Trout, you know, um, which brings my first point. <laughs> what do you guys think of as far as the Zips go? Um, best player looks like it's going to be Lorenzo Kane, and here's that asterisk, uh, 3.6 uh, Z-War, uh, Mr. Dan Zimborski's war. Um, I think there's a solid beat on that. I think that's I think that's low. Not by that much, but I think that's low. Sure. I'd say probably at least four. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the Zips in general is not um, – does not really respect defense. Yeah. The and not just zips, but projection systems because defense is mm-hmm. so hard to um quantify. Quantify and from year to year it can vary, you know, quite a bit. So since you need multi-year samples for defense, it makes sense for the projection systems to not really be that heavily influenced by defense. However, when you've got a bunch of players like the Royals do who are defensive wizards, um, you know, then that's an issue for projecting the team's win totals. Yeah. Do you guys do you guys know if Dan uses? I f- I feel like he uses ERA for his pitcher WAR. Does that sound right? 
I think I... he uses uh, raw nine, actually. Right. Okay. Good. Good man. So close enough. So uh, earn runs in a, in a way. That's what I was thinking. Okay. Um, because unlike most projection systems, who usually underrate relievers, um, he's got Wade Davis's one at one and a half wins, which is a very good reliever season. Um, which I would take that rather than I think he was like point eight or something per steamer. Um, you guys, oh, have... he'll be he'll be better than that. Yeah, no, a point nine is what steamer has him. So yeah, I think he'll be better than one point five too. I yeah, okay. I agree. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, well, he... and they, I mean, I forget. I'd have to look it up, but I feel like his his. It's interesting because um, his projections for the royal for the bullpen historically have come out to be pretty accurate i feel uh except for i don't i don't think he gives enough weight to kind of the top three guys as it's been in the past um like you know herrera davis and holland last year and the year before that like um i feel like his overall projection system was accurate in like gauging the Royals' final like war total for the bullpen, hmm. but it only ended up being that way because they had like four guys throw like six innings apiece and give up twelve runs, and all accrued like negative war value that brought down the total of the guys who you know actually you know pitch consistently. So I don't know. There's it's. Uh, what was it? This year he has them projected for three wins from the bullpen altogether. Uh, depth chart looks like three. Yep, from yeah. including uh, Louis Coleman and Scott Alexander. Uh, right. Well, and he ago. and he didn't have. Did he or did he not include Alex Gordon? I forget. He did not. No, he he would have included him in the actual. Yeah, he wouldn't include him in the in the diagram, but in the actual projection, he's there. Okay. Um, but yeah, he would have been out of the diagram. But in the zips page on Fangraphs, Gordon is yeah. in there. Yeah, right. So and he's got Gordon as a three win player, three point one, which right. I would take pretty easily. I think. Um, hey, here's yeah. one that I think is strange. Maybe not strange, but here's one that I'm very skeptical of. Um, Salvador Perez. So we'll go year by year. Uh, 2012, 2.3 wins. Next year, 3.7. Next year, 3.1. Next year, 1.6. So two straight years of decline. And then looks like Steamer and Zips pick him as a three-win player again. You know, mm-hmm. a, a big bounce back. A double his value, essentially. You guys yep. take the over-under on that? I think I'd take the under, in my opinion. I'll, I'll take the under. Yeah? I'll take the yeah. under. Come on, Matt. Such a sad uh, thing to say. Push. Mm. Push. Okay. Push. Push. I think that's that that's reasonable. Well, but, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, he was he was an over three win player for 2014 and 2013. So yeah. it's not. Yeah. And you know, in 2012, he was worth 2.3 when he only played in 76 games. So. I I, I think don't it's like a re- the trend. Yeah, I think yeah, it's a reasonable play. guess, but the trend is certainly. Not in his favor. What's the waiting? Is it three, two, one? Is that the usual waiting for the years, or how do you? Is it is it a different number that I'm thinking of? Anyone know? Are you talking about oh for projection for how, systems? How Zimborski? Yeah, Josh. Well, any it? just overall, there's a way to do it. I think you wait it like 
uh, most recent year gets three times the weight. Second most recent gets two times the weight. You know, as far as for projections, does that not sound? That doesn't sound crazy to me. Sure, let's okay. go with it. That exists. All right, you guys just take me for my word. All right, I yeah. Positive. I mean, there are, there are projection systems that do it differently. Some of yeah. them do it on a like last year gets one hundred percent consideration. The year before that only gets eighty. And yeah. the year before that only gets 50. Yeah, like, Scott Scott McKinney, if you listen to this, please leave in the comments, because I know he knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, I think, yeah, I, I think overall, and this is a great question uh, posed in the comments today, which would be uh, January 19th, so probably yesterday, if you listen to this. Um, <laughs> uh, what do you guys think the Royals win to right now? And I know, Matt, you called me out for doing this, and I won't do it this time, I promise. <laughs> What's the Royals' win total at this point in the season? Forget about future moves. What's the and you know assume everything goes fine in spring training. What's the Royals' uh, win total? You know at the end of the season right now. Ninety. I say ninety. Ninety, 90 even. I was going to say eighty-six. Kevin. I'll go with eighty-eight. Man, I was going to say eighty-four. I think eighty-four sounds reasonable. But I'm see. There you go. We're all two games apart. So. Yeah. The standard deviation. Um, <laughs> Okay, well... We can even. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, hey, another thing that happened, and I am i don't have this pulled up, but uh, Baseball America, they released their top ten Royals prospects. Um, let me get it pulled up, because that's really bad. I didn't have it. So, uh, I know for sure that um, Royal Monacy was, again, the number one prospect. Um, Which I don't agree with. Yeah. Okay. There's got to be some prospect fatigue almost going on with him. Uh, well, I mean, it's also talking about Perez and trending in the wrong direction. Sure. Like, the most noteworthy thing about Raul Alberto Mondesi that's happened in his career is that he made his debut in the World Series. Yeah. And you can kind of scrap everything that's <laughs> struck happened. out. Yeah. Well, him being born in 1996 or whatever is also... 95 was... Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing that's really... That, that's certainly, you know, that certainly is what... That's what keeps you having hope. Yeah. For the most part. But know. at this point, I would easily put Zimmer ahead I of Montesi. If, if, um, but I, as we have discussed many times before, Sean, that I uh, weight proximity to the majors a lot heavier sure. than... Maybe I uh, would. Yeah. Most hey, um, I don't know. I think Montesi's Elvis Andrews eventually. Um, but... I don't know, but I still no, no, no. I don't say I think he is. I think, I think the eighty percentile, um, whatever outcome is Elvis Andrews, but the medium one is a lot less. Oh, dog, and that's not my dog, listeners. It's usually my dog that Sorry. yelled that. That that those are mine. That's Roops. Um, <laughs> so let's just go down the list, and we don't have to talk about each one. But uh, so Montesi was one, Zimmer was two. I can't believe Bubba Starling was three, but he was three. And this is a good one. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Almonte, Watson, Russell, Gasparini, Strom, Blewett, and Cuthbert. Um, I think one of you guys voiced a strong opinion against my opinion where I said, man, Bubba Starling just doesn't feel like the number three player in this organization. But someone mm-hmm. had a good point. Who would you put ahead of him? Um, and... That's yeah. thanks to the weakness of the system, I guess. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's that's. I think you're quoting me. I think. Yeah. But it's it's not that Bubba Sterling is that awesome. Although I think he's a pretty good bet to be uh, useful in the major leagues. Like I think he'll at least be a pretty decent fourth outfielder, which is not yeah a nothing. You know. 
Um, yeah. Given prospect failure rates. Yeah, it's not. It's Scott, not Scott McKinney. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, but sorry. he's he's just not he's he's not very. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> number three is not 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 very good. Yeah, that, that signals something. That's that's well, about the system. And if yeah. you go down like the list of Royals prospects, like they don't really have a pitcher in the lower minors who's just tearing it up. All of their pitchers have some issue. All of their hitters have some issue. Yeah. Um, I just don't know who you would put ahead of of him. You know. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the big thing to remember when we're discussing Royals prospects for this offseason and for next year and probably the year after that. Um, especially when it comes to rankings from you know Baseball America or Baseball Prospectus or any of those, which guys is due out next week, by the way. Right. So people know. Um, Bubba Starling is number three in a system that traded five guys that would probably all be ahead of him. Oh, right? definitely. Right. So, so being number three in the Royal system right now is probably closer to being towards the bottom of the top ten in like. An average-ish kind of farm system. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, it, it's definitely not the greatest farm system in the history of whenever. No, no. not anymore. No, yeah. they all graduated. Yeah, or died um, off, and then won a World Series. So yeah, pretty, pretty decent. Outcome. And played and played in another one. Yeah. So yeah, if this was the Tigers system. I think Stalin might be the number one or number two. And you know what? <laughs> the Tiger no, system is terrible. And, and, the, and the Royals, I mean, seriously, in, it makes sense that they've gone they've gone from arguably the number one all-time system to, at this point, 23rd, 20th? I mean, back yeah. 10, definitely yeah. at this point. Easily. Um, which, World Series ring. Yeah, World Series. yeah that's, and that's the point. That's the reason why is because a lot of uh, graduations, which is good, which is the point. Right. Um, not everybody can just be the, um, the I don't know, the Cardinals, or you know, not everybody can just reload, reload every year and still be good on the field. Um, so, okay, I was just thinking. In, yeah, I mean, like in looking at BA's list, I mean, I probably would have tried to make room for Ryan O'Hearn at number ten. Ahead of Cuthbert, there was a there oh, was a writer on the website that wrote about Ryan O'Hearn. I think a year or two ago to say like keep watching him. Do you guys remember who that was? Uh uh-uh. uh Nope. Okay. All right. I guess but that, I mean Cuthbert probably okay. Cuthbert probably gets the edge just for proximity's sake. But. I mean, Watson and Russell at five and six is kind of also an indicator, considering the season or lack of season sure. that both of them had, and the fact that you know they're still fit into the middle of the top ten behind guys that are either closer to the majors than they are or have had prospect status in the in the past, hmm. and ahead of guys that are just kind yeah. of. Don't necessarily have pedigree, but uh, are you know kind of making strides. Yeah, and by the way, I'm going to explode if I don't say it. It was actually me that wrote that article. That's kind of what I was joking about. Um, but um, <laughs> one thing that is sad is in Foster Griffin, the Royals' first round pick in 2014. Yeah, 2014. 
Um, he's gone. I mean, he's off the top ten. I don't think he'll make my top ten. He might make make my top fifteen. But um, yeah, I mean, I it's kind of I don't know. That was that's been a pretty bad pick for the most part. Um, who, well, and Hunter Dozier's yeah, gone too. right. Dozier, right. I was thinking the previous year, Mania's gone. Dozier's been you know poor. Um, it seems like in when he, and then they took uh, Ash Russell uh, with their first pick, and Ash Russell's very device, divisive, um, not decisive, very divisive. Uh, a lot of people think he's a reliever. A lot of people think he's a starter. The Royals obviously think he's a starter. So it seems like they had that year of like, and of course they drafted much higher, uh, but they had all these great picks, built a great farm system for several years, and then now all of a sudden they've maybe missed on three straight years, three straight first-round picks for the most part. Mm-hmm. So you guys think drafting is hard? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's in, yeah. it's incredibly hard. It, it's incredibly yeah. Hard. Well, oh, it's, it's like wash. it's like it's, playing first base. Tell him, Wash. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that was good. And uh, yeah, and I always go back to uh, back when I was writing at Pine Tar Press. Shout outs to David Lesky and yeah. company. Um, I did a comparison and Hunter Samuels. Why not? I know that guy. So, um, what about Clint? Yeah. <sighs> That's fine. What about yeah. um, Allen, Aaron Allen? Uh, I actually don't know him. No, okay. That's the one guy that I, I don't know. Um, but I did a, a comparative analysis of the Royals farm system, and this would have been back in 2012, thereabouts, like before Hosmer and Moustakis and all those guys had graduated, essentially. Um, comparing the Royals farm system to teams that are considered to be the best at uh, drafting and promoting guys. So it was the Cardinals, the Rangers at the time, and the Rays. And looking at all of them comparatively, the difference between the Royals and those three teams, like specifically the Tampa Rays, the difference between the Royals and the Rays when it came to drafting was Evan Longoria. Hmm. Like, just having one guy who was really really good um and it was similar for the rangers the cardinals were the only one that was kind of like they're getting production from a lot of different sources yeah um not top tier production like they weren't getting evan longoria numbers from anybody but they were getting you know two win seasons out of four different guys fairly consistently yeah they could pull out Uh, a tyler lyons or i think tyler lyons is his name uh or Kevin, not Kevin Seichrist, whatever Seichrist's name. Yeah, I mean, they could pull out all these pitchers that kind of came out. Of, or even Michael Walker. I mean, Michael Walker was, yeah. a, was a mid Carlos Martinez. Carlos Martinez. Uh, right. I mean, these guys weren't number one overall, yet Walker almost won a Cy Young, I think. And, you know, right. he's like a 15th round pick, or 15th overall pick, excuse me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, other than the Cardinals, I mean, and it would change now, actually, if you look at. The Royals compared to teams that are considered to be really good at, you know, drafting guys. And if you look at the last, you know, five years, um, the Royals are actually higher than those guys. And it's just because, you know, the players that they drafted, you know, made it and were productive. So it's 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 an ebb and flow kind of thing. But uh, one, I think the Royals have improved a lot in terms of drafting and scouting um, and their international 
you know, base is still really strong despite uh, limitations that have been put on recently. Uh, and two, um, I think it's just kind of a matter of time, more or less, when you're better or when you're good at drafting and, you know, maybe signing, you know, minor league free agents and things like that, that they will actually become productive. Yeah, which is going to be at a bit of a slowdown, um, at least for this year. And next year, the you know, the Royals um, went over their draft pool bonus, uh, so mm-hmm. they can't sign yeah. any player for the next two years in the July 2 signings uh, for more than 300000 which essentially rules them out of the mid- to high-level talent. And then, of course, they will be with two less draft picks. The, their first two draft picks – well, I'm sorry, their first draft pick – their hypothetically second draft pick with signing Gordon, which we can't really worry about that much, but they mm-hmm. won't have their first round pick. They won't pick it till 66th overall, I believe, or somewhere in that range. So, um, yeah, because right, they don't they don't do the competitive balance picks anymore, do they? No, they do. But the Those... Royals, for some reason, they I think they won the very first pick the very first year, and then, right, yeah. I don't think then they won the next year, but I don't think they won one last year, or even two years ago, or this year. I think they've been without that pick for. I wonder if it. I wonder if they do something where it's based on win loss record in turn, but also yeah. you know they compare market yeah. size and things. like they're that. They're in it. No, no. Yeah, they're in it. They just didn't win but the lottery. They just didn't win. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Simple as that. Um, which yeah, which is. But of course, you know, yeah. the Cardinals won it. Um, I think the Diamondbacks wanted a. You know, the team that just signed Grinky for two hundred million dollars. They they definitely need a CBL pick. Um, right. To, you know, make it competitive. You don't want those small market teams. You know, like the Diamondbacks. Um, you know, hurting. So, uh, okay, so that's good. Um, well, quick hits, and then let's wrap this up. Uh, you guys have kind of fulfilled your obligation here. Um, Cologne versus Infante. There was a bit of, uh, I think McCullough or Flanagan talked about this. Um, seems like Infante might not be the surefire guy uh, for second base. I think yeah. we'd all rather have Cologne. Let's just put this baby to bed. Everybody agree that we'd rather have Cologne start at second base or Infante. No, actually, I think Infante should start. Okay. And not because of production. Okay. Um, I think Cologne's better, but I think Infante should start. No. um, So Infante's on his third deal. He's been utterly terrible in the first two. And and so he's been – his trade value has been zero. Zero trade value for Infante. However, if – he can just squeeze out a bounce back season and sort of pitch it that, you know, he had surgery, he's healthy, here's his bounce back season, he puts up a good season. Somebody is probably going to take maybe, you know, somebody like Infante, a, um, you know, a one-year veteran for, you know, $8 million or whatever he's making, you know, for a team who loses somebody to injury or something. Somebody was probably going to take that that month that in the trade, yeah. And that does not happen unless he has value, and he cannot get value if Cologne is starting. So, yeah. it's a bit of a long, longer, um, longer term decision that I think. But um, you know, that's you want to trade Infante and you want to get rid of that contract. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you do you think that Infante's bounce back season has to be something really really uh, good or at least above average as opposed to uh, roughly equivalent to what he's being paid in order to regain value? 
Oh, he did, I mean, he doesn't. He's got one year left, and the Royals could kick in money. He just needs to be not terrible. Um, you know, I don't know. Even if he's like a one-win player at this point, um, which might be optimistic. Yeah, it was like here's like a 1.2, 1.5 win player, um, and the Royals kick in a couple million. Like here's a second baseman for free for five million dollars. You know, that's. <laughs> That's 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 that's, that's tradable. That's easily tradable. Well, yeah. I mean, it'd be it'd be nice to be able to to buy a prospect essentially by throwing in some money. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Diamondbacks did that with Aaron Harang, who arguably is just as bad at baseball pitching wise as Infante is at um, non whatever fielding hitting wise. And Second you know base what? wise. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? And Aaron Harang had I want to say eleven million left on his deal. Um, Omar Infante's got 7.8 plus 8. He's got 15.8, 16 million essentially left on his contract as well. Yeah, um, he's got to so, rebuild some value. Yeah. You can trade him. But, think, and so, but if also, he's terrible, then you can start Cologne and feel great about it. Yeah. But they had to include Tuki Toussaint. So it wasn't like they just, Right. I was yeah. going to say. Like, <laughs> my, yeah, my mind was backwards. I don't know why I was thinking they traded <laughs> I mean, him for Tuki Toussaint. It was the Braves who bought the prospect. Yeah, right, right. There was, there was a guy in that trade. Yeah, I know. I don't know why I was thinking of that. Because I was thinking yeah, that yeah. they got Toussaint for two seconds. That's why my mind no, was yeah. next up. Um, no. Well, but, lots yeah. of things well, happen. But it's not and inevitable I, that they couldn't trade him away and kick in money for literally – the Tigers' 30th best prospect. You know, the worst yeah. prospect in the worst system, I think, would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tigers. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> I mean, it is a, a pretty bad system. Yeah. Sorry, bless uh, you, boys. But, uh, yeah, if you want to read about the Tigers, go to bless you, boys. Yeah. We give rats um, to everybody. I, I feel like this is another one of those kind of like baseball PR things where it's like, hey, Thanks for getting the surgery. Now we're going to tell everybody that like there's second base competition because we want you to actually try and not suck, you know? So like I I feel like this is more of the Royals motivating Infante like at least at this point. I mean, obviously if he, you know, comes out and hits 220 in April and is getting on base at, you know, 220, like he was last year, that um, it's, 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 I mean, it's very possible that they start Cologne in May, you know, like, if Infante is just terrible. But, like, right now, I don't think they're really committed to the idea of, like, an actual second base competition so much as they're wanting to put pressure on Infante to not suck so hard yeah definitely okay cool let's yeah. stop talking about Omar Infante I really don't care about him at all um, <laughs> so uh, what was I going to say oh yeah um, two more quick hits um, one Ned Yost did Flanagan say it as well I think Flanny said it um, he's, well he quoted Ned Yost saying that Alcides Escobar is going to lead off again this year why uh, Yost is des- describes as saying Hey, it just works for us. That's proven now. So there's, picture this. There's some universe where the amount of evidence needed to prove something is non-existent, minuscule, non-existent in Ned Yost's universe that LCD Escobar works as a leadoff hitter. Is this, I, is this killing everybody else? Is this crushing your soul as much as me or am I just crazy here? Yeah, it is what it well, is. If, yeah. <laughs> if once if a you, game he 
smacks a double on the first pitch. Yeah. You know. Yeah, if he goes one for four every okay. game, that, I, okay, I can live with that. Hooray, two fifty. Um, if you want, if you want a really good indicator of how how colored your vision can get from a World Series victory, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I completely forgot that LCD's Escobar weighted runs created plus last year was sixty something. Uh, yeah, leading off it was sixty eight WRC plus. I it was a lot better in the playoffs though. To be fair, true, it was much better in the playoffs. But what what I mean is like I was having a conversation with uh, Michael Ingle on Twitter um, about guys who would are likely to receive qualifying offers after 2017. Uh, so, you know, Kane, Moustakis, Hosmer, very obvious. Mm-hmm. Those guys are all going to get QOs. And we started talking about other guys, and Alcides Escobar came up, and I was like, yeah, he'll probably get a qualifying offer. And then I actually looked <laughs> at Escobar's stats again from last year, and I was like, yeah, ah, maybe not. Nope. There's probably a really good chance that he's never getting a QO. Maybe, maybe but, he... Like, yeah, maybe he could convince a team like, "Hey, Dalton Simmons hits just almost as good as I do for the most part," and he got uh, yeah, whatever. And Dalton Simmons is also a better defender. Yeah, yeah. a better defender. Than but him. I'm talking. Come on, but, come on. Yeah, give me, give, give me mean, a bone here. All right, I'm yeah. trying to make LCDS bar a lot of money. I'm trying to do something right. good for another human. Yeah, but he's uh, not a good shortstop. Yeah. Like that. That's the thing. People don't want to hear, hear it. He's not a good shortstop. He's like a career. If you want to go by WAR, he's a career like WAR one point yeah. seven, which is below the league average of two. And it's mm-hmm. not like shortstops get like a special commendation and get a pat on the back for yeah. you know. Well, one point seven's not really that different from two. Yeah, I would yeah. think that's average. but it's, I mean it's it's Let's not see. good. He's, I'm not saying he's terrible or bad. He's well, not a good yeah. shortstop. He's it, he's good it's defending. It's acceptable. Yeah, I mean he's, he's the he's the Ian Kennedy of shortstops, I think. Right? <laughs> like his WAR last year was one point five, and the year before that was three point three, and the year before that was one point one point one. Yeah. So he's had two bad seasons, but not, not not really bad. Yeah. Just like better than Kennedy. Yeah. Like. Uh, yeah, sandwiched around one season that was like, oh, that's actually, you know. Hmm. But it Not just good. feels like he's in the top ten for shortstops. And this is this is without looking at the stats. Just because, for some reason, like, Didi Gregorius pops in my head. Um, what's yeah, but his doesn't name? He, doesn't he even play second base now? Didn't they move him, the let's Yankees? See, let's see who the batting, the shortstop leaders are for 2015. I mean, um, like, Correa's there. Yeah, yeah. Lindor. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I mean yeah. he's not top then, five, but like Lindor and Correa are the two that would probably be like, eh, those are the best. Yeah, but like surprisingly, like uh, Kettle Marte for the Mariners mm-hmm. is was good too. Yeah. Let's but like it's it's we're long past like the late nineties, early two thousands. Alex Rodriguez, Nomar Garcia, Parra, Miguel Tejada period. Although we might be there again with Lindor and Correa, yeah, because those guys are and Brandon Crawford. I mean, a lot of guys that they know he's not that young. Crawford's not as young as them, but um, right. yeah. I mean, if you sort by the past, we'll just say the past two years. Um, Alcides Escobar four point eight FR and Dalton Simmons five point two, so about a half one better. 
But he's better than Xander Bogarts, Jose Reyes, Jimmy Rollins, Azdrubal Cabrera. Of course, those guys are older, too. Um, but he's, you know, sixth overall. So I think he could probably convince a team that he's not as good as Simmons, but he's better than maybe other, you know, maybe the other kind of back 10-ish guys. So Yeah, but I mean, if you take the, if you take the, the restriction off and look at, Every shortstop, and not just qualified shortstops. Alcides Escobar was twentieth in WAR last year. Yeah, I, mm. my main point about Escobar is that he's not nearly as good as people think he is. He's, no, yes, yeah, not. Yeah, he's not. He's not good. <clears throat> yes, Facebook would tell you he's a top five shortstop, maybe top he's, two. He and I'm worried about his <laughs> his uh, his aging because he has no offensive skills. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not yeah. any offensive skills. And if right. his defense and base running goes down a little bit, he's yeah, um, that is, worse that is than definitely useless. Yeah. 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 That's, that's definitely an issue for a guy like that. Hey, um, do you guys think that, and I've argued on Twitter with a, a gentleman named Tom, and I think everybody knows Tom on Twitter, if you're on Royals Twitter for the most part. Um, Doesn't he write for Royals Review now? Tom? Isn't that that Tom? No. Is that the one you're talking about? No. no. He, he writes for, or he used to write for the K, I think he used to be the main janitor for Rock Chalk. Oh, you're talking about Tom Fear. Yeah, okay. Tom Fear. Uh, Tommy Boy. Sorry. Um, do you guys think Hosmer is an elite first base defender? <laughs> Seriously. No, no, no. Just defense. Don't worry about offense. De- oh, defense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, right. no, no. You, no, no, no. Sorry. You, I would just need to correct this. You said Tom. I thought Tim. Yes. Tim Webb. Is the one yeah, Tim Weber, great guy, Tim Weber. Yeah, but I'm uh, talking about Tom. Is he an elite first base defenseman? Yes. Or is he an elite first baseman defender? Just defense only. Is he in the top? Let's say top three of defensive first baseman. Like currently playing? Yes, currently playing. Mm, He's not probably. Yeah. Who's better? <laughs> the numbers don't say it. That's but it. Like the numbers the don't I, say it. The eye test, actually, I think. Exactly. So, and that's I think I think picking I think it under underrates his uh, the picking, yes. which doesn't doesn't really show up. But he's he saves so many runs. And Fangraphs yeah. has that stat. They have scoops, and he does lead the league consistently every year in scoops. So he's, he's just the best at it. So yeah, he's very good at scoops. <laughs> but I feel like range wise, he's not Pujols in prom, in his prime. You know, I've, and not that that's always got to be a comparison, but I just and feel I would, like I would actually argue that him. Going to his right is actually more of a detriment <laughs> to his defense than anything because he very often will try and make a play on a ball that's hit three feet to the left of the second baseman. Yeah. And he'll dive out to try and get it. And it'll either go off his glove or, you know, it'll go under him, but now nobody's covering first base. So, like, there's there's some things that he does defensively that are less than good. Yeah. Um but I don't know. I mean, there's not there's not really any good defensive first baseman outside of I mean, if you consider Buster Posey a first baseman. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Posey like, and I think Napoli actually used to get but, good remarks and Brennan Bell. I think those guys are usually yeah. pretty good. But yeah, sure. So they yeah, have to but, sure. But, but there, there's no one drawing yeah. Simmons. Yeah, sure. there's, there's no not? Simmons version of a first baseman. I mean, no, nobody comes to mind. Yeah. Okay. All right. Unless you put Lorenzo Cain on first base, which would be amazing. Yeah, that would be a fun. I want Yost to do that. Have Cain play all nine positions, including pitcher, 
Um, just to see, I don't know, why not? If we're up 30 games come, you know, August, give it a shot. So, okay. Um, yeah. I think that's... I mean, really I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time saying top three, but I would yeah. probably easily say top five and would definitely say top ten. Right. So, so top five goes against the numbers, but I'm with you that maybe that doesn't add... I don't know. That's tough. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that was just something to consider. I figured you guys... I mean, like, he's won how many gold gloves now? Four? Three? I think it's two or three. Yeah. More three. than one? More it's than three. one. One plus? And, like, presumably they are looking at actual defensive statistics now when sure. they give out the gold glove awards. Three little... gold gloves, by the way. Right. Um... But I think there is also, I mean, it's one thing for somebody to sit here and say, like, oh, no, Alcides Escobar is a good player, like, overall. It's like, well, we can look at his offense, and it's clearly deficient. And we look at his defense, and it's pretty good. And But people in baseball aren't saying, no, you guys are wrong. Like, Alcides Escobar is actually a really, really good player. Yeah. What people are saying about Eric Hosmer is... I don't know. The stats don't say that he's a good defender, but everybody like in and around the actual sport of baseball is saying no, like he's a he's a good defender. So it's 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 hard because on the one hand the metrics aren't really saying that he's good. But literally the organization like the, the university of baseball is saying no, he is actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he actually is a good first baseman. Hmm. Like, so I, I think I, I, it's it's really complicated uh, in terms of you know looking at yeah. his profile. If he continues in, in that respect, if he continues on the path he's on, let's just say for the next two years he just is the same Hosmer. Uh, the repeats mm-hmm. twenty fifteen for um, a few more years. Well, maybe not repeats twenty fifteen, but it's just good. Do you guys think yeah. he breaks one hundred fifty million in free agency? Um, if sure. he repeats 2015, yes. Sure. Okay. I don't think so, but... Yeah. And, and I, I think... Mean, it, it depends yeah. on inflation, well, I think. Sure. Yeah. And that's also a thing. I mean, he'll be 28. Yeah, 28-year-old. 28 when he's a free agent. He could get a six- or seven-year deal. Yeah. So maybe not 150, but he'll probably get 120, yeah. all, it would, all it would take is one breakout year yeah. of, like... 150 WRC plus, and he will get huge, huge easily. Yeah, all it takes is one year. It yeah. Doesn't even have to be his free agency year, right? Never hit 20 home runs. Never hit. I mean, 19. So he's yeah. he's never hit over. You know, decidedly right. over 20 home runs. Essentially, yeah. Uh, yeah, all it takes but, one year. You know. All it takes is one year. Yeah, and people, you know, especially if it's the year before. For, I mean, especially it's within range of free agency. Oh, know? really? Yeah. I mean, all Eric Hosmer has to do to improve his offensive profile to get into that, like, 140 WRC plus range, 150, is to just remember to not forget how to hit baseballs for two months at a time. Yeah. Which yeah, is I what, mean, like, what, don't, that's don't what he's done. Long. Yeah. Yeah. Not even like, just, just, just don't slump as long, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. just a readjust quicker. Date right. one girl for the whole year. Stop dating different <laughs> girls. Like, he had, he easily had two four week stretches last year where he just disappeared at the plate. Just flat out was gone. Was grounding out to second. Like, it's, it's a running joke. 
that's that like how, that's that's how layoffs he was that way as well. Yeah, like that's how well known it is. Is that Eric Hosmer has a period every year where he will just ground out for weeks at a time. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, and don't and forget he, swinging at the slider. Yes. Right. Yeah. Ox Gordon syndrome, essentially. Yeah. Slider away. Uh, good day. From a from a righty or a lefty. Yeah. That's the end of end of Alex Gordon. Um, so if he can if he can turn his you know four week slumps into two week slumps, then okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Might be able to do that. That's okay. A, that's a, Matt, any other questions you're gonna just cop out and just say sure on that I should ask or you feel good? Ah <laughs> uh, no, I I okay. I think that's that's okay. That's do we want to talk it. about the Royals bullpen at all? No. Whether or not it's actually an issue. Maybe maybe at a later time. Yeah, maybe, it seems like Matt's got to go to bed. He's got he's got bedtime, and I know Kevin's got <laughs> stuff going on. No, it's it's not it's not bedtime. <laughs> it's just two hour podcasts. Nobody listens to two hour podcasts yeah. unless you're like serial, and or then, unless you're driving to Georgia. Yeah, right. You listen to our podcast. Josh? Oh, absolutely. I would too. I think um, I don't, yeah. but I think I would if I had that long of a drive. Okay, cool. Yeah, you're in them all. Yeah. But it's still kind of cool to hear him back. So, but we've got some listeners that listen. So, uh, you know, we have 400, 500 different listens per podcast, which is pretty good, I think. Well, how about that? Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, Josh is 200 of them, but. Hey, uh, <laughs> That's not true. I, down, I download it once using an app on my phone, Podcast Addict. I use that too. Great. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. So I download it and then uh, listen to it. Cool. So I, I don't even stream it. I just actually just download it. Okay. Out, outro music is starting right now, and it's going to crescendo. Um, so everybody, uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> Let me remind you, we are joined by uh, Matthew Lamar, my co-host. I'm glad Matt could join us. Uh, you can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt's Twitter handle, which he's going to say right now. Uh, Lamar underscore Matt. And then, uh, as usual, we have Josh Ward, and you can follow Josh on Twitter, which is recommended, at Josh's Twitter handle, which is... J underscore K underscore W A R D, and then making his uh, his inaugural and hopefully um, one of many, not annual, but whatever, uh, very often appearance. Kevin, Kevin Rupert, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me this time. And Kevin, what's your Twitter? Uh, Kevin Rupert. Do you want to spell no Rupert? Scores. Uh, yeah, R U P E R E C H T. Awesome. And uh, Kevin is also the managing editor of Beyond the Box Score, and he writes the world's views. So you can find his writing, um, you can find Matt's writing, my writing, Josh's writing, all the best world's content on SB Nation. Do not go to Pine Tar Press, regardless of how much Josh Ward wants to talk about that other website that's not ours on our podcast. You might as well go to Kings of Kaufman while you're at it. You might as well go to, uh, I can't think of the other one. Anyway. Royals Authority. Royals Authority. You can actually go to Royals Authority. We like it. Uh, and we like everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You <laughs> could go to Rainy on the Royals all yeah. you want. Rainy on the Royals. You can go to Casey <laughs> Star. Okay. Well, that's the end of this podcast. Just, just don't go to Judging the Royals. Yeah, don't go to Judging the Royals. I mean, you can if you really want to. Or go to, you know, Gaslamp Ball if you want to, for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. All right. So, signing off. Uh, good night, everyone. Thanks for listening, and have many, many, uh, have many, many good nights. Thanks.